Hi, my name's Johnny Lawrence, your performance coach, and welcome to another episode of Life Talk. I have a question. Has going sober ever crossed your mind? Because with challenges such as dry January and go sober for October, this could be the year that you give it a go. Now, we've got something pretty special here this week, a two-part episode just ahead of the new year. For the first part of these episodes, I'll be speaking with sobriety coach Mandy Manners from Love Sober. Mandy is incredibly inspirational and talking from her own experiences, Mandy explains how she discovered sobriety and the profound effect that decision has had on her life. But enough from me. It's time for you to have a listen for yourself. So let's get to it. Today, I'm here with Mandy Manners from Love Sober. How are you, Mandy? I'm very well, thank you, yeah. You're coming all the way from France, I believe. I am, yeah. I'm on the West Coast, so just like an hour south of La Rochelle. Oh, wow. What's the weather like? Um, It is pretty grey today. I don't know. I spend like a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of time in my bedroom, like, you know, working. So it's like, I don't know, the outside world is like, yeah, and in COVID and, you know, confinement and stuff. So do you not miss sunny UK? Um, well, I do at the moment. I mean, because I haven't been home since February. So oh. I haven't seen my family since February and stuff like that. So I try to get home normally like every two, three months and for work and stuff. Um, but other than that, no. <laughs> Yeah. But to put it bluntly, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been here like um, 14 years, so it's, oh, wow. it is home, really. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Do you speak French? I do, yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. That's helpful. I, I, did it, I didn't when I moved, but like there's a point you can only go so far, really. And it's not easy language to learn, but I've got two kids that are bilingual, so they pick me up when I make mistakes. <laughs> I watched once I, I once watched my father-in-law have a conversation with a taxi driver all the way from our apartment from the restaurant to the apartment and it was a full conversation and I got out of the car and I said to him wow that's amazing what did he say he said no idea <laughs> <laughs> so I was like oh <laughs> okay uh, yeah just so, a little <laughs> that, yeah 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 I think in England we have this tendency if we can't speak the language we just speak in the accent and it's a yeah. bit strange. it's just a bit strange yeah well that's probably one of the hardest things because now there's there I mean French are quite sort of protective over language but there are a few English words that have come in yeah so now I have to say like English words with a French accent which is really like can I have a burger? Burger, burger, <laughs> you know, burger. Um, it's like a burger. Wow. What a burger, you know. But they don't understand it if you don't say it in the accent. So. That's interesting. Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, I just get we just go off and chat about anything but what we were supposed to talk about. <laughs> um, for those people that don't know, um, Mandy is uh, part of a uh, duo. Uh, it's Kate. It's Kate Bailey, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's your it's your partner in crime, <laughs> and uh, you run a company called Love Sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a Love Sober podcast, which is wonderful. I encourage anyone to listen to it, uh, regardless whether you plan to go sober or not. <laughs> and uh, uh, you have a book, which is uh, Love Yourself Sober. Um, that Again, you did that together, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So that was published in September this year. And how's that gone? Has that gone well? Yeah, it's, it's been going well. Um, 
we had a little delay with the audiobook, but the audiobook is out now as well. And then it will be released in America in March next year. So it's a kind of self-care guide for um, busy mums for sobriety. So that's the kind of, I mean, we the podcast is for everyone, but we're both mums and that's very yeah. much related to our story, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. And so when we were coming towards the book, we were like, well, it's so much about just what do women really need? Like what's really going on here? And a lot of it is that kind of, you know, putting our oxygen mask on first, looking after ourselves, self-care. So that was kind of the focus for the book. So yeah, it's been really well received and have lots of lovely reviews. And yeah, so we're really, uh, really, really grateful. That's exciting. That's really exciting. I mean, you also do courses, don't you? Is it, uh, yeah. I've got it here, is it permission to pause? love sober essential toolkit and then obviously you've got the, the the bigger overarching thing of the love sober life school yeah that, that that's uh that's a lot of support for someone who might be looking to go yeah sober. we have a community as well like a secret um facebook community so you can you can join on our website and then you come through to the and it's completely hidden from facebook so no one can find it so we've got about 300 women oh, wow. in that community and um that's a really lovely space and we have a meeting every week where we normally sit around in our pjs and talk about what's going on in life and have a cup of tea and just sort of you know that support and that connection yeah. with other people that kind of go oh yeah me too or like oh i thought i was the only one yeah, it can be so sort of powerful and just to see people that are living their lives and thriving and happy can be hugely inspirational when you're kind of sat at home going I don't think this is right but I don't think it's that bad either and I'm not sure what this is and you know all those questions that a lot of people have about their drinking yeah. um, and that's kind of what the podcast is about you know we say for the sober curious and sober people so it's yeah. those people that are like what's going on over there you know looking over the fence oh, they seem like they're quite happy and they're not drinking how does that work um and so it's yeah very much through a positive lens and that's what we try to do and, and a bit of fun as well and just talk about real issues talk about being yeah. a mom and how hard it is you know i love the banter the banter <laughs> the, the banter is top draw for sure <laughs> yeah um and sometimes we get off a call and we're like was that maybe that should have been a bit more serious but then those are the, the ones that people like the most they just like to give them a bit of laughter because it yeah. can be really hard you know and often you're not supported by your family or friends you know it can be a difficult transition especially in kind of anglo sort of alco-centric cultures like in britain you know where it's very much part of our culture to drink and we often drink from a very young age it can be really really sort of scary so yeah we try to just sort of show that it's not always easy but it's worth it you know and um there's life on the other side really and it's possible yeah more importantly it's possible because yeah. there, there is that moment of like you know like one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you was because we obviously we're recording this before Christmas but mm. the intention is for it to go out in January when everybody decides I've drunk like a fish over Christmas and I need a break so they take mm. January off and uh you know I suppose in in a way that's very achievable that's mm -hmm. four weeks um there's a beginning date there's an end date and you can sort of bare knuckle it until until the end yeah. if you have to but you know come february you're you're going to be able to drink again or you're allowing yourself to drink again and some um may continue onwards and and, and enjoy the process and, and be curious as you say um about what's possible you know how many months could i do this for or, or whatever but I mean, I read your bio on Love Sober. I encourage anyone to read both of your bios, both you and Kate. Um, so inspiring. Um, honestly, so inspiring. And um, 
just I don't know, just I, I find it inspiring, very, very inspiring. And, and I encourage anyone to read it. But it it made me sort of reach out to you to see if you'd if you'd come on here, really, because people will be looking to do this in January. But I was really interested for you to tell your story and talk about your experience and what sort of led you towards sobriety. Yeah, well, it's it's been a long journey. I mean, I think I like honestly, I think I never really had a good relationship with alcohol right from the beginning like when I I mean I started drinking when I was 14 you know sort of going to the graveyard there's nothing else to do with bottle of cider I grew up in the west country you know and um, that's what everyone was doing and it it was instantaneously that kind of um you know I was quite anxious as a young person and it was that kind of elixir to sort of like oh you know now I can do it like now I can check the chat but I never liked how it made me it was this real kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing because it would give me that confidence but then I'd make bad choices and then I'd say the wrong thing and then I'd have that like oh my god I can't believe I said that to so-and-so or blackouts you know right from the beginning really quite sort of and I drank really heavily straight away you know there was none of this kind of refined let's have a glass of wine it was as as it was in the 90s you know Ladette culture let's just get you know trashed with and that's kind of how it continued really and um and I think um as I kind of grew older and I I I was tired you know I'd been partying kind of quite hard for about 10 years so when I was sort of met my now husband um I was kind of done and I was like his sister didn't drink so my husband's French um and his sister doesn't drink she's never drank she's teetotal just she just doesn't like it and I was just like wow like I never knew that was possible and she was still going to parties she was really beautiful you know Parisian woman and she'd drink tea you know elaborate sort of black tea and and read loads of books and was super successful and I was just like oh you know what's that all about that does Um, sound remarkable I've got to say (laughs) you know and it was just like I just I it never even I'd never even questioned it, you know, it's just what everyone did, you know, all my family drink, not to sort of dangerous levels, but it's just part of our family culture, British culture. And so that was kind of where my sober curiosity began, I think, right at that point was like, wow. And then we started to kind of test, you know, let's do dry January, let's have a break. Um, I'd put on quite a lot of weight at that point. So I was like, right, you know, my husband, was like let's do a challenge so we decided to give up for six months Um, and that was back in 2000 I'm really bad with dates 2002 I guess 2002 2000 2004 maybe really long time ago and I loved it and I felt loads better I was super proud of myself I just felt really good in in myself and discovered a whole another life you know we went sort of because we were party people you know so you know we went for long walks we just sort of had nice food and like the the kind of the days switch from nighttime to morning time and just realized I had so much more time and I had a really stressful job at that point I was working in arts marketing so at that point I was like wow life's great you know um I'm gonna have a baby you're like that's that's what we'll do and then I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, let's move to France. I was like, yeah, okay. So then, because this has been my thing, it's like something's not working, like massive change. So like, yeah, let's move to France. So we moved to France, um, and then I got pregnant, um, 
and I wasn't drinking at that time. Um, and it was great, but very lonely and very hard work. Um, and so I had my daughter um, when I was 26, so in 2006. And I think I'd had a lot of kind of unprocessed trauma um, from some experience that happened when I was a teenager. Um, and when I had my daughter, something just clicked in me that I just like super hyper vigilant. I was so worried that I was going to mess everything up. Like I love this being more than anything. And I didn't know how to cope with that. So I kind of detached. Um, and at that point, you know, I started drinking again and I can remember coming back from the, the, um, the hospital and having a glass of wine. And it was like, <sighs> you know, I was like, ah, and so that stuck and it became my coping mechanism. It was just like, things are really hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm all alone. Um, you know, but I can have a glass of wine at the end of the day and that's my treat. And everywhere I looked on social media, everyone was doing the same thing. You know, so you've got that confirmation bias that you're looking around and it's like, oh, we're all struggling. And we say this in the book and, you know, when we've talked about it before, like that was quite a interesting time on social media because you'd, when Instagram and stuff arrived, there was this kind of perfect parenting. Like everyone was like, you know, Bowdoin ads, you know, looking gorgeous. And then there was this kind of honest parenting thing that was a bit of a backlash and it was just like, you know, like F you, this is hard. And so there was women sort of showing their laundry in the background, breastfeeding, going, ah, like hell. And there was a kind of, you know, bonding there and a camaraderie of like, wow, okay, we're in this together. This is actually really hard. That's but something some, that... Yeah, sorry, that, but just at some point that got kind of entangled with drinking and it was like, this is really hard and I've got a glass of wine, you know? And, and so that sort of became part of it. And then, you know marketeers got hold of it and it became this whole kind of culture of mummy wine drinking really sorry I just um... no 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 it, it, it's just that you know being a parent is 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 a real gift and it's it's a lovely thing but it is traumatic mm. and people don't always acknowledge that um I, my, I myself was triggered I, I had um a lot of domestic violence and child abuse as a child and when I had a kid when when we had our first uh, son I held him and it gave a whole new perspective to that trauma. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, I can't handle this. You know, so people don't think about them things. And, and as you say, alcohol can be that elixir of thank you very much. That makes things better. That makes things a bit more numb. Yeah. I can handle things. Yeah, it's like that kind of and that's why there's no shame in any of this. You know, it's like it like we only know what we know until we know something better, you know, and that point it was like, well, that's all I knew. And that was my way of coping. Um, and, you know, and again, it's, it's so accepted, um, you know, in society, even to drink th through stress, you know, yeah. um, and, and yeah, as you talk about kind of trauma, I mean, even for a woman, like giving birth is traumatic absolutely you know on our nervous system yeah and you know alcohol works on the the GABA receptors in the brain which is you know that oh, response you know so it is actually you know working on our nervous system regulation and then that's part of the work we do as coaches now working with people is like right how else can you 
you know, regulate your nervous system, bring yourself back into kind of homeostasis so you're not in fight flight, because all of that is kind of what you've used alcohol. I love that. So you, what you're saying in that sense is that you're, what does alcohol give you? Yeah. And can you give it to yourself without alcohol? That's that's yeah. lovely. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not about deprivation. It's not about like, I'm just not going to do this thing that I actually really want. It's like, what is this thing? You know, it is, you know, an addictive drug. It is a poison. It is a depressant. But it has, you, you know, it has been a function in my life. So it's like, rather than like me taking that out and trying to cope, it's like, well, what else can I add in? You know, what can I add in? And we're all about like adding in, you know, from treats to, um, yeah, practices to, you know, looking really at your emotional intelligence and saying, you know, I'm angry now. So what do I need? Like, what do I need Chocolate. to deal with this anger? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try not to get cross addictions, but you know, like, what, yeah. what, what do I need? What can I do? Like, what can I do when I feel stressed out? Like, is it go for a run? Does that make me feel better? Or is it like lie on the floor and do nothing for 20 minutes? You know, is it going in the bath? And then just finding those like five, six key tools that you can go to, you know, and then it's about habits, about building those habits. You do it again and again and again and again. And then it just become normalized that I don't do that. I do this instead. You know, like I have baths in the middle of the day if I'm like stressed out because it's so automatic for me now. It's like, that's what I need to do, you know, and I, I never get, I never want to drink. I'd never get triggered because like, I've just got all those, you know, sort of boxes ticked. Yeah. And I think for me, like kind of one of the things that I knew when you're trying to like ascertain, like, is this a problem or should I moderate or, you know, how can I keep alcohol in my life? I knew if something really bad happened, you know, if I, you know, someone died that I loved or something, you know, I would head straight for the bottle and so that was my kind of like, okay, I, this relationship is toxic because, and I don't think I could come back from that. So that was the moment where I was like, okay, I need to like do something about this. So anyway, just to sort of finish the story, I, um, yeah, at that point I kind of, um, I went back to work. I had my son. Um, so I was getting a lot of kind of, uh, positive, um, reinforcement for my job I was working in a business school had a very good career but was feeling like I wasn't sort of doing the job of mum properly so there was this real disconnect didn't know who I was you know had my kids quite young all my friends in the UK were still kind of partying really hard so I'd go back to the UK you know get trash come back feel awful loads of shame um you know all like binge and my husband works away a lot so I'd like you know drink a bottle of wine on my own and you know, then black out and not remember going to bed and then have to deal with the kids and hugely, hugely kind of... Um, oh, it makes me anxious just listening. <laughs> yeah, just really sort of um, consumed by shame. And I think I'd been living with shame my whole life, you know, like my teeth aren't straight enough. I'm not thin enough. Like, you know, I sort of, I'm not clever enough. I was quite naughty at school. You know, I think maybe I have some ADHD tendencies that were never picked up on, um, you know, and then obviously sort of huge trauma as a teenager and then going into the workforce, just like all these things piling up. And I do think that's an experience for a lot of people. And we just kind of like battering these kind of little traumas all the time. Um, and then the cycle of like drinking in a problematic way just makes it worse. 
you know, because it's like, oh, right, you know, this whole idea of moderation, that was the trap for me, that that was the prison. It's like, I'm not going to drink Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then you get to Wednesday and you'd be like, okay, I'm going to drink Thursday, you know, or I'm, not, I'm only going to have half a bottle or like, and so every time you sort of don't do what you said you would do, it's just like another chip on your self-esteem. And that, when I stopped drinking, that was the beginning of the spiral into you know, feeling good. It was just like, I can do that. So now I can do that. Like I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I was just like, I, you know, hated everything about myself. Um, and, you know, and I blame myself for my trauma, you know, which a lot of people do. Um, so it all kind of got quite sort of dark. Um, and I was working really hard. Um, and so my, I went, well, I actually I had to get my husband to take me to the doctor because my French wasn't very good so that was a very interesting kind of I wrote down all the stuff like you know I don't think I'm a good mom I hate myself like you know I don't want to live like I can't stop drinking I you know all that stuff um and my husband had to kind of read it out to the doctor um and that sort of started the process of healing, really, but very much the trauma piece. And I started doing CBT, was put on antidepressants. Um, and then I kind of about two months into that, I was like, the drinking's not helping. And I started reading about it and I was like, oh, it's a depressant. Oh, you know, because I a, a lot because I had kind of real hypervigilance around sleep. And so I would drink to go to sleep. You know, that was my age. So you know, I was relying on sleeping tablets and just, it was all just quite messy. Um, and so, yeah, so I started on antidepressants, going to therapy, stopped drinking, everything got better. You know, it was like, right, I'm going to quit my job. I want to bring my kids up by the sea. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. If I'm going to do one job, that's the job for me. Um, so we moved, we moved to the seaside. And I was like, okay, everything's going to be great now. Um, I can have a drink every now and again, you know, I'm so much better. I'm going to therapy. I'm on antidepressants. Like it's all good. Um, so after a year of not drinking, I, you know, went back to it and it was never the same again. So that was even more confusing because it was, I never went back to that dark place. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I've got a handle on this. I didn't drink on my own anymore. I only drank with my husband, but you know, come Friday night, I'd be like, <laughs> where is he come on <laughs> like it's Friday night like opening the bottle of wine when I heard the car coming down so I just changed the rules that's it like I was still attached to it I still had a relation to it it was still super important in my life but I just changed the rules around it so I kind of went back and forth for about three years just like wasn't I better when I stopped drinking completely and my husband would say yes and I go okay la 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 because I just didn't have my identity like I didn't know who I was as a sober person uh, and then finally in kind of August 2017 I just think I, I was just exhausted like we we're on holiday we've been on holiday for three weeks drinking pretty much you know because it's the holiday, yeah. bit for lunch, bit in the evening. I wasn't sleeping. And that was always my kind of thing. It's like, if I wake up at four in the morning again, I stop. And I do that for about three months, I'd feel better. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, I can drink a little bit. Because I still gave it so much importance. Like, And I think it was very much attached to 
being normal you know it's like if I'm normal then I you know my depression doesn't matter the trauma doesn't matter like I'm a normal person and I detached alcohol and drinking with that normality and it was like so I have to keep alcohol in my life because that's what normal people do like I have to drink a little bit so I can teach my kids how to drink a little bit because that's what normal people do so many levels to that blimey (laughs) no I can't you know wow sorry carry on no no that's and and so there was a lot of detangling all those kind of that unconscious thoughts really about it um and you know and so I we were in Spain and and actually my because I think when you drink heavily and you black out there's always that little bit of game of chance with it you know you wake up in the morning you're like okay phew you know where are the kids everything's all right okay you know um and we were in Spain and my kids were playing in the pool and my son jumped in and he he caught his eye on the kind of cover. He's fine. Yeah. Um, but it was just one of those moments that, I, you know, I'd never drank when they were in the water. Mm. You know, I, we'd never been let them in the pool without us. And it was the first time and they jumped in. That happened. I had a glass of wine in my hand, you know, and he came up. My husband jumped in, pulled him up. He was like, you know, oh. it was all quite dramatic. Yeah. Like, like what you know and my husband said to me in the car I was like oh thank god we hadn't had a drink you know because we had to go and find a hospital open in Spain and trying to navigate all that and and that night it was just like you know what's it gonna take like what's you know how many more chances are you gonna take um and that night I kind of I downloaded Annie Grace's book This Naked Mind which is very much about the kind of liminal thinking and that unconscious conscious bias and that was it. It was just like, that was the kind of bit I needed to kind of build my personality. And then I started my Instagram and made friends, basically. And that was the key thing. It was just like, I needed friends. Like, yeah, I needed people to look up to, you know, when you're sober, then you start realizing it's like, oh my goodness, like Brené Brown's sober, like no way, you know, oh wow. Like um, all these sort of people, you start locking in and getting that kind of inspiration. But yeah, just people to talk to and friends. You know, I met a community in America. I went to LA and went to this massive conference with like 800 sober women with like super inspiring kind of speakers. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm part of something actually, you know, and that's means something to me. And and like my kids, they love, they really like that I don't drink and they have a choice. Like my husband drinks, I don't. And that's the way it kind of should be. It's like, it's not a given you don't have to it's like how does it make you feel like does it make you happy that's important that's so important that that choice that you know you don't have to drink because it does as a teenager in the UK which is all I can speak of it doesn't feel like there's an option (laughs) you know uh, that's important so yeah yeah. it's really you know that's the the basis of it it's like taking back that empowerment and that kind of decision it's like it's my decision actually um and because I was such a rebel when I was younger you know and I was into the rave scene and going to illegal parties and very much that kind of counterculture that was a real hard shift it's like how can I go from that person to being sober like the most boring thing 
But then when you start to think about it, it's like, actually, I'm doing something that not everyone else is doing. That's quite rebellious. <laughs> I love like it. I'm making choices for me over what other people want me to do. That's quite badass. Like, you know, and so that really helped just be like, you know what? Like yeah. not following the crowd is actually the most rebellious thing you can do. So I was like, OK, good. Put the leather jacket back on. Yeah, I'm good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we talk about like make you know what what had to change in you to not only be sober you've explained that part but mm. to be happy and sober because as you say everyone else you're the boring one you're not drinking and you get that person i'm sure that's you can have one right you can oh, all the you'll time. be all right yeah. you'll be all right yeah. you know and uh, yeah so all that social pressure i suppose is what i'm saying so mm. th- that that's gonna chip away at your happiness you're gonna get frustrated you're gonna get annoyed you're gonna be like look mate i don't drink leave me alone <laughs> but you, you can't imagine saying to somebody who doesn't smoke just have one cigarette it's like no <laughs> i know exactly yeah. yeah um so yeah i mean i think it's it's having a place to go and share you know and to to have that connection of like-minded people that's absolutely key because you get that kind of reciprocal you know feedback of like oh I'm doing a good thing I can tell someone about that that can help them which helps me and you get those dopamine hits essentially of like of that kind of positive side um and the other thing is the toolkit it's so it's looking after yourself self-care like learning what you actually need you know when you're getting triggered and it's like well what's going on here like what do I actually need and being able to ask that question so I actually just need a rest I really need everyone to like f off and leave me alone you know and so I'm going to put in some boundaries around my time you know I'm not going to be available 24 7 for everyone else because I have needs um and I think especially that's a real trait of a mum isn't it to put everybody else ahead of themselves I see that day in and day out like I have to almost feel like I give permission to my clients to 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 come training to go for a run or you know they always put themselves at the bottom of the pile you know yeah I mean it 100% is I think that's you know essentially what we do as coaches is like permission permission to pause permission not to drink Hmm. permission to say no you know not to go you know like enjoying FOMO like Mm. turning it into sort of jomo of like the joy of missing out like i'd said no and now i'm in my pjs you know yeah. I'm, I'm having a hot <laughs> chocolate i've got a clean bed i'm gonna wake up in the morning i'm gonna feel fantastic like that is such power to yeah. take back but that first time of saying no like i can remember it was just absolutely terrifying like will they still like me will i be rejected and because we're fed those those messages by marketing about alcohol all the time especially this time of year you know it's like it's what makes me fun it's romantic Mm. it's how we bond you know it's important it's integral you know it's part of you know the new year christmas experience and so being able to find that within yourself to say no i opt out is terrifying yeah um at the beginning but once you start you know then you realize the power in it of kind of taking it back and going you know what like I've got five things planned which one do I really want to do you know and the rest I'm gonna say no do you ever ring your friends that do drink at like half six and say how are you feeling now (laughs) (laughs) half six in the morning phone call (laughs) yeah uh, I mean to be honest like my my friendship groups have changed like I you know 
um, the people that were really, really, that my drinking was more important than our friendship has, that's had to sort of shift. Um, I had quite a lot of toxic relationships, you know, around me. And when you, you realize that, and that's really painful where you're just like, okay, I'm going to come, but I'm not, I'm not drinking. And they go, oh, okay, but don't spoil our fun. Yeah. And you're like, okay. But then I found other people, you know, um, and I think that's a real important message. Like we never, we can always make new friends, you know, and I made new friends that are sober. In fact, a, a couple of friends of mine from Paris, they came down this weekend they're both sober my husband was the only one that was drinking and he drank a little bit because obviously he's not gonna he's gonna be respectful and we had a great time you know um and my friends that are my true friends they're not gonna get hammered when I'm there you know they would because they don't have any issue with alcohol Mm. they can take it or leave it and I think that's the thing it's like you know when am I a problem drinker it's like you're asking this question so there's probably something there because people that don't care, they just don't care. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh no, there's no booze. It's like, oh, okay, then let's have a cup of tea. Whereas I would have been like, what? There's no alcohol? How Where's the off license? <laughs> yeah. How are we gonna have fun? How do we fix this? How can we have yeah. some? Like, where does it come from? Because yeah. it was it was super important to me. So at the beginning, obviously it would have been very, very difficult. Is, is it still difficult now? No, no, not at all. And I think it's that that habit, you know, like I think it's, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. I mean, it's something we learn. And once you sort of repeat a habit over and over and over and over and over, it just it becomes, you know, unconscious. Um, And I have no desire to put something in my body that causes me harm. So there's nothing there that like I don't see it as a treat. I don't want it. I don't desire it. But certainly at the beginning, it was really, really difficult. Um, And that, again, it was about sort of ritual and routine. I did the same thing because my kids were quite young at that time. They were still having a bath. And I'd identified that if I went downstairs, you know, after I put the kids to bed, that was my real trigger time. You know, I'd sit in the same seat. It'd be like glass of what, you know, telly, wine, phone, scrolling, feeling miserable about, you know, all the things I was missing out on. So I was like, I can't do that. I can't go back to that place. I wonder how many people hearing you say that do that, (laughs) you know? And it can be so simple. Like it was really simple stuff. So it was like, eat with the kids, you know, eat early with the kids. And then I'd just go straight upstairs and I wouldn't come back downstairs. So like I put the kids in the bath, um, get them out. And then I'd run the bath quite hot. Um, so I'd have enough time to like put the kids in bed because my husband works away in the week. So I was always on my own. And then by the time I got the kids settled, then I'd literally just jump in the bath, listen to Radio 4 at the time. Now you can listen to podcasts. Um, but at the time there wasn't podcasts and, and then go straight to bed. And that was just that was it. And I did that, you know, day in, day out for about three months. That was just, you know, and I didn't go out. And I did so just to get through that initial wave. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really go out. Um, and, and, and now, you know, it's, it doesn't bother me at all. So what um, are some sort of like common sense strategies, as we mentioned at the beginning, people might be looking to do this in, in January or, um, you know, there'll be people that might be looking to make this more of a long-term choice. Hmm. What are your sort of common sense strategies just, uh, 
without giving too much away from your book, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the classic kind of triggers are hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So it's like, you know, um, do you need to eat? Are you thirsty? Like, make sure you're hydrated. Make sure sure you eat. That might be the trigger for you. Mm. And I think with a lot of women, because we're quite we're constantly dieting, like you know, we're like, oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna eat. I'm not gonna have carbs. I'm not gonna have some bread. This was me. Um, and then I'll sink a bottle of wine at the end of the day. And then you know, so I think that happens with women. Like we we're really kind of um, we're using a lot of willpower in lots of other areas. And willpower is, is, you know, a finite source. It's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't go on forever. So what else can you take off the list? You know, so you can just concentrate on sobriety. Like it doesn't matter if you, you know, have a piece of cake or whatever at this time, just focus yeah. on that thing. Um, angry, like boundaries, what's going on? Like, why do you feel so annoyed with what's going on? Like, what do you need to change to self-protect in that area? Like, is it work that you're getting to the end of the day and you're feeling resentful? Is it because your kids are not respecting you? You know, look at that side. Lonely, like definitely my drinking was a lot about being alone. So it's like, how can you connect with people, join a community, um, you know, get online or go to meetings or whatever. Um, and tired, you know, just rest. It's like so much of people's drinking is about sort of being overtired and that kind of, I must do everything and I must achieve. And it's like, you just really don't. And you can get to things later and it's just like, bring all that down. Because essentially it's, you know, you're, when you're caught from a biological point of view, you know, when your cortisol levels are super, super high, yeah you're you're not going to be able to use your you know logical brain very well you're going to be sort of you know working from the back brain which is like very much about triggers and very much about you know the t-rex like give me what i need now rather than going let me play this forward and back and think about this from an analytical point of view so you need to have time for your body and your brain to just regulate essentially um so yeah those would be community sleep good food and um yeah boundaries i think especially for women yeah i don't know i'm not a man but i I definitely (laughs) know for women it's being able to say no to stuff yeah yeah i would agree with that from what i've uh what i've witnessed myself and and Mm -hmm. obviously my wife as well um and she'll hold me to that now but (laughs) (laughs) that's all right um my last question really was like you know like I said, I've got so much respect for, for you and, and your story. And you made that decision to be sober. What has it given you? Because it's obvious to see and hear what it's taken away as such. Yeah. But I think it's important to know when you make a decision such as this, what does it give you? Um, pride. Yeah. Um, I feel really proud of myself, which is hugely different to where I was um patience like I'm so much more patient with my kids now um I'm more fun as well because I think I was controlling everything so much that I was constantly like this um and like and just taking everything so seriously and I was really inflexible in my thinking with the kids like everything was really hard work Um, and a lot of resentment and stuff. And I don't have any of that. I'm much more chilled and much more silly. Um, Yeah, it's that kind of 
that self-esteem thing, you know, like I feel good about the choices and then that impacts in all parts of my life. Um, and my mental health, you know, I've, I still take antidepressants, but I haven't had kind of, you know, at one point I was on antipsychotics, like I couldn't work, I couldn't leave the house, you know, so um, I never want to be back at that point. And every time I went back to alcohol, my mental health got worse and I just couldn't see it. And now it's like, there's just no way I'll put a depressant in, a, you know, my brain is fragile and it's had trauma and it looks, you know, and it's that thing of like, I, I deserve looking after and that was self-harming for me, you know, so. The way you put that, so it's so beautiful in the sense that, you know, you, you say that you, you have to take antidepressants, but you also was drinking a, a a depressant. So that to me sounds like trying to drive with your foot on the brake and accelerate yeah. at the same time. And it's just like that yeah. constant conflict. It's uh, it's quite yeah. a, you know, your self-awareness and your, uh, yeah, I just got utmost respect. I really do. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, I think we've come to the end. I've taken up too much of your so much of your time already. Um, thank you so much, Mandy. I really, yeah, really do appreciate no, this, and, and I'm going to continue to listen to your podcast and laugh at your banter. <laughs> and uh, I'm an audio book guy, so although I'm not a woman, I probably will listen to your book because I. Oh think- uh, yeah, you do, and like people, men have said, you know, like it's well on twofold. I mean, I think if you're in a relationship with a woman, like it really helps to understand the female experience. Oh yeah, um, you know, of, of motherhood, uh, which. Yeah which isn't a bad thing but also you know it's a lot about self-care and and men need self-care too and Mm. you know I mean both Kate and I have sons and you know that's it's a big thing that you know that kind of toxic masculinity like men need looking after just as much as we do and so yeah there's 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 a lot for a man to take from the book I think as well yeah I agree and uh, I look forward to reading it and uh, um I don't know. Maybe I can help write a man one. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's needed. It's yeah. definitely needed. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that uh, this year has pointed out. Um, you know, obviously mental health in in, in all genders is important, but, um, you know, I think it's more apparent these days with, with men as well, not, not talking about things like that. And, uh, you know, there's a strong drinking culture in men too. So, yeah. yeah. But again, before we get off on it again, (laughs) uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I hope to speak to you again and uh, look after yourself. Yeah, thank you. You too. Take care. The next part of this two-part special will be up in a couple of days where I speak to a certified alcohol-free life coach named Carolina. So I look forward to seeing you then.